Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Scaling New Heights podcast. During this episode, we will talk with Damon John, co-star of the Emmy Award-winning series, Shark Tank. And before we get started with our conversation with Damon John, I want to tell you this podcast series would not be possible without the generosity of our partners. That's Neat, SmartBiz, and Entryless. Now, if you remember, Neat is the scanner company that you know, talked about their awesome-looking scanners on infomercials on cable TV. They are so much more than that. As a matter of fact, the heart of their innovation is in the cloud with solutions that will extract information off of paper, automate the process of pulling that information into accounting systems, and significantly streamline bookkeeping processes. So if you haven't looked at NEAT lately, take a fresh look with your small business lens on and go to water.com slash podcast where NEAT is offering our podcast audience a two-month free trial of their online online solution. If you've got nothing to lose, go try it out, watch the magic happen, fold it into your accounting process, get your clients on board with it, let them start streamlining that bookkeeping. Let's talk a little bit about Damon John. Damon John is an entrepreneur who is very familiar with the importance of good financials. This is a man who started a clothing company in his mother's basement and transformed it into a global fashion empire, which has amassed over $6 billion in worldwide retail sales to date. He's the co-star of ABC's Emmy Award-winning series Shark Tank, as we just mentioned, and he's also the New York Times best-selling author of The Power of Broke, released earlier this year, a book I strongly encourage you all to read. He is the recipient of the Congressional Achievement Award for Entrepreneurship, the Ernst & Young's EY Entrepreneur of the Year Award, the NAACP Entrepreneur of the Year Award, and in 2015, he was named as a Presidential Ambassador of Global Entrepreneurship. Damon John is here with us today to discuss his connections with finance, tips for financial professionals, and also to share with us his learnings and successes. You can see him almost every night on Shark Tank, where he is known as the People's Shark. And today, I have the pleasure of speaking with him in person. Now, before we bring Damon John onto the podcast, I want to talk about Smart Biz Loans at smartbizloans.com. They're one of our podcast partners, and they help small businesses to secure funding traditional bank loans, SBA loans. That means low interest, very affordable lending, but very complex to secure. Well, they navigate that complex process on your client's behalf. They streamline it, they do it all online, and once approved, your clients can receive funding as quickly as seven days after the application is complete. So if you wanna know more about Smart Biz Loans, but even better than that, if you want to take advantage of Smart Biz Loans' generous offer of $500 credit on loan closing costs, go to water.com slash podcast. You can learn all about it and take advantage of that generous offer. Now, let's get to the conversation with Damon John. Damon, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. Thank you for that great intro. Amazing. Thank you. Yep. Well, I appreciate you joining us today, and we, we loved hosting you in the Bahamas in May. It's an honor to have you here with us. Backstage, before the event, when you, when you were with us in May in the Bahamas, you mentioned to a few folks that you're involved in accounting. 
the mother of my daughter is an accountant. Um, you know, she works for, uh, I think, a, a company that has a couple of golf courses. She works in the North Carolina area. And my uh, oldest daughter just graduated Meredith uh, College in North Carolina and as an accountant, but she's also right now kind of like where most of our kids are when they just get out of college, trying to figure out where she wants to be. So she's she's looking around for some nonprofits where she could bring her accounting skills to the nonprofit uh, sector. Well, that's, that's really, really exciting. And do they seem happy as accountants? Because, you know, a lot of people stereotype accountants as sort of like, you know, the, the melancholy, sullen people in the back office that you just kind of invite to the party, but they don't show up. You know, it's a horrible stereotype. But, uh, you know, do they like being accountants? Is it fun for them? Well, you know, uh, my wife, she really does love being an accountant. She loves numbers. She loves figuring it out. My, uh, you know, my daughter is just trying to figure out how to add uh, accounting. Well, she loves the numbers and she loves working through things, but she wants to add that also to another form of passion to connect them. And, and as, uh, you know, even myself, you know, when I was 22, I had no idea what I was going to do when I, I finally discovered my passion for food when I was 28. So she has a couple of years to really kind of figure out, uh, you know, what she's going to do and let life, uh, give her some opportunities. Well, you know, and, and the whole world is in front of her. It's an exciting thing to be 22 and, and have all those options. I, I wish her well. Um, you, you speak about the importance of numbers a lot in your keynote addresses. And I know you did when you were on the stage of Scaling New Heights. Also in, in your writings, um, what are a few pieces of advice that accountants and financial professionals should give to entrepreneurs specifically who are starting up a business? Uh, well, first of all, it's, it's my theory of activating the power broke. You know, a lot of people believe that, uh, you know, when it comes to numbers, the bigger the numbers are, the, the, the better a chance you have into launching a company, meaning the bigger of the investment you put in. Um, and that's really not, not that, you know, that's not important. The the important part is to actually see how you can do with little to no funding and put the numbers into the right place. You know, if you're going to put your numbers out there and you're going to have uh, a certain amount of revenue that you want to create, well, you have to build the company with a small amount of revenue. You have to do the best you can to maybe you don't build a website for $20,000 and maybe you start off with a Facebook page and you do a couple of Facebook ads and or have people who can help understand pay-per-click and things like that. So you can start off with $5,000 in. Maybe you don't take a, a, a big lease in a space. Maybe you open up something like a co-share or a WeWork type of office if you're not even going to uh, operate from home. So it usually is how much debt do you acquire on the books uh, when you start out. Now, I think one of the most important things that small-time entrepreneurs don't do is they don't set up the structure in the beginning. So they don't go and hire a great accountant. They don't go and hire an attorney to set up the paperwork and create structure because in the event that you get to a good place in business, most of the companies that I see, their biggest challenges, they're not set up to take in investments. So they don't have the they don't have the accountant the accountant that maybe they didn't hire full time but they went in and had consulted them and now all of a sudden they're coming over to my office with a bunch of boxes uh, shoe boxes of you know receipts and and uh, bills and things of that nature and I can't give them funding so the important part is to set up really a good uh, operations with, you know, whether you consult somebody or something of that nature, and then also start to try to scale with little money in so you can get proof of concept. And then when you have proof of concept, then you can go and take the investments or take that opportunity to take a loan or, or whatever the case may be to scale it because you've already proven the concept. 
I, I think that's fantastic advice. And I really like what you said about um, seeking the advice of a lawyer. And, and the best accountants, in my opinion, are those that are partnered with attorneys and they take a teamed approach. Uh, and and if the business isn't built on a stable foundation, everything from the way they incorporate to the way they manage their contracts, then, you know, they could be profitable, but they're going to start, you know, fracturing under the weight of their own existence. And I, I've noticed several times uh, on Shark Tank episodes, uh, somebody's come in with a great idea, fantastic business model, solid revenues. And then you, you guys ask a question like, uh, but uh, is this invention patented and they're just blank stares deer in the headlights right and then your your hands are tied there's not much you can do with that um, yeah i mean correct that goes that goes to not having good advice in the beginning and as you just said you know if the if the structure of the company is weak you're going to be crushed under it because yeah you know you can have that and and it, again it's not hiring good accountants and attorneys who number one i think you brought up a good point they need to talk to each other it's almost the same as you know in your company if you don't have sales talking to design or production talking to sales everybody's going out doing their own thing and nobody's talking and and, and halfway down the line you're going to find out well, you're selling it for too little because the production costs way more than that to make the product, so we can't go out and sell it to the market because there's no margin in there or things of that nature. So if you don't have accountants talking to the attorneys to set up your structure, then you, you're really going to crumble. And that happens when you're setting up, like you said, they don't have a patent. Or, you know what, they did a DBA and they named the company uh, whatever the case is, and that had nothing to do with their URLs so or that had nothing to do with the trademarks that they needed in this category. And you, now you don't even own the name when you go out there or somebody can contest it. So again, it's all about uh, whether you're building a building or you're building a company, it's all about the foundation that you build it on. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And you're right. The best team approach is, is key there. We mentioned a couple of, of those investor ready components of a business, you know, like the patent, like having a solid financial model. Um, what other types of research do you and your colleagues on Shark Tank uh, do before you consider investing in a candidate? Yeah, so of course, we, we look at your legal structure as it's set up. We look at, you know, what kind of corp, corporation do you have, LLC, S Corp, are you, you know, your, uh, do you have any level of exposure out there in the market? Um, yeah, we do look at, you have QuickBooks, or you have any financials, and where did the money come from? How was it, how was the company funded? Because, you know, some people fund it um, in ways that not, that they can't transfer over, so do we have to set up a new co? Um, and those are probably, and then of course, we look at, you know, the sales over the years, the sales and the investments, you know. Uh, we've seen people who go out there and say, you know, I have, you know, I have $2 million worth of sales, but you have $20 million worth of inventory, you know. So so that, that the $2 million sounds great, but the $20 million sounds horrible, right? So, uh, you know, we look at all those aspects. So number one, sales. Number, number two is how did you get out there to the market? What was your cost, your acquisition cost per customer? Do you know all those numbers? Uh, you know, number three, and none of these are in order, you know, do you have all the proper trademarks, patents, uh, you know, are you trademark in the proper categories, your URLs and things of that nature, and also then, you know, your legal behind-the-scenes structure for the IRS, for your partners, can you take in partners, can you take in funding? 
Yeah. And by the way, that's all. I mean, that's that's an amazing answer. And I know that you live in that world, which is why it just kind of rolled off your tongue that quickly. So I'm, I'm hoping that people, as they're listening to this in their car, they'll tune back in when they can take those bullets down from from what Damon just said, because it, it, that's gold. But um, there's a concept that comes up sometimes on the episodes uh, related to funding. I wanted you to, to kind of elaborate on um, sometimes somebody will approach you guys for an investment. And you classify their request as gold digging. Can you yeah. explain what that means? Yeah, you know, it's the it's the people that we believe are they either don't really want to deal because they're they're it's very they're very obnoxious in their requests because they feel that Shark Tank is just a really great platform and if they go in there and they talk about their company that the whole world will obviously know about their company after that and then they didn't have to give away any of the money to the shark or it's just a it's just a crazy valuation of the company because the person is has fallen in love with the brand product or concept and they they believe that it is way it, it is worth way more than what the market will actually pay for it and we have to hopefully bring them back to reality or that's a good indication that you have a potential partner that will always be challenging because they just believe that they have the greatest thing that you know mankind has ever seen and that they're going to overvaluate the the product or themselves and they're just not going to be able to go out into the market and sell because it's just not realistic. All right. So, and I'm I'm glad that you I'm glad you broke that down uh, because one, it's it's great to understand what you guys mean by the term uh, on the show. But also, I think sometimes uh, small businesses can a- approach banks or VC funding or even private investors. Maybe they don't have the platform or Shark Tank, but they have that same mentality. They're too emotionally connected, uh, and they've, they've ascribed an emotional value component and then they're deflated when they go to a banker and the banker's making it all about the numbers. Um, and I think the big takeaway from there is any investor is investing because they want a return on that investment. And if a bank or an investor or somebody on Shark Tank isn't going to get the return, then you know they they're not going to give you money, no matter how much money they, they might have. And as accountants listening in the audience today, we need to make sure that we can connect that value proposition to the person that wants to lend our client the money. It's really good. Correct. Uh, you know, and there's two type of uh, you know buyers on the market. There are people that want to you know they want to make an investment and they want to scale the company. They see the opportunity there, and accountants can clearly share that opportunity. There's the other the other person is somebody that there is a strategic value to it. You know, you are somebody, you are um, uh, a great store, and you, but you know, you have a lot of locations, but you haven't been able to get people, the millennials, into your store. So, you go and acquire a product or an, and or a brand that is going to bring millennials in there. So, you may overvalue the opportunity, but you're doing it for a different reason. You know, let's look at somebody like a, a you know, Apple Computer by going out and acquiring. Uh, Dr. Dre's Beats, a headphone company, obviously, and, you know, Dre's uh, music catalog, uh, you know, or music services, they wanted to bring the cooler kids in there. They didn't need to create a new pair of headphones. There's a, you know, million companies that have headphones, so they paid a pretty big valuation for that due to bringing these millennials in the store. So, you know, the accountant out there needs, they have two jobs. They have a job of 
looking at the potential buyer who's coming into the company and seeing, you know, where the numbers meet the sizzle, if there is sizzle, right? That's the one job. But the other job is to give that owner who or person they are uh, consulting that advice of a realistic approach uh, so that person understands and they can walk in the room they can pick their negotiation tactics and but let them know don't overinflate the number here or there because you know their accountant on their side is going to ask us some questions some really hard questions you're going to have to come up with some answers for so you know make sure that they 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 give the owner that insight and that ammunition to walk into the room that's Really, really good advice. And, and right now, small business lending and small business funding is a major challenge. So all of this advice is really, really helpful to the accountants listening in, I know. Um, I'm going to turn the tide for just a second. You know, everybody knows of the successes of FUBU and all of your other interests, your clothing lines and, and, and everything that you represent. Powerful, powerful brands. Um, but, you know, and we can celebrate those successes, but the reality is the path to success is never as smooth from the inside as it appears from the outside. And I wanted to know if maybe you would share some of the mistakes you made along the way, especially those related to the numbers and some things you wished you had approached differently. Oh, absolutely. There's, there's too many for me to share for us to do in the short period of time, but I can share some of those great failures, which it, it's taught me a lot of things. So one that I like to talk about is more of a, a mistake I made when I had money, and that's when I came up with the concept of the power of broke because I realized that some of my biggest and most costly mistakes was when I actually had money and I didn't activate the power of broke. Um, early in 2000, uh, you know, we acquired a company called Heatherette. Now, the company Heatherette is a was a was and it's a decent company now, but it was a very popular company then, ran by two great guys named Richie Rich and Trevor Reigns. This company, uh, you know, sold clothes for the pop culture teens, though. You know, teens anywhere from the age of 15 to 25, females. And they had a huge amount of free advertising out in the market. Every time somebody would do a big uh, fashion week in New York City that happened two times a year, uh, they would give them an arena for free. Naomi Campbell, Kamora Lee Simmons would walk the runway for free. Naomi Campbell cost $100,000 to walk down the runway. She would do it for free. She absolutely wanted to be part of this, these kids. And these kids were activating the power of broke. The entire world was talking about them. So the way I looked at it is I said, you know what? One of the black holes in any of our brands or companies is how to get it out to market. Do we do print runway? Do we do commercials, radio, TV? And we can spend easy millions and millions of dollars to trying to get it out to the customer. But these guys have it all covered. Daily News is writing them up, and ABC is running them on the news, and everybody's following them. So now I looked at it as a good portion of my investment, my customer acquisition, is going to not be there, so this is a great investment. I go and I acquire the company. Now, three years into it, what I realize is I spent about $6 million, and I spent $6 million in this way. Every runway fashion show that they were getting for free, now that they had backing, the people would charge them for it, so they cost me $250,000 per show. So that basically is $500,000 a year. Now I'm buying a bunch of inventory because I believe they have this big swell of people who want to buy their clothes, so I'm buying a bunch of inventory blindly because I'm going to just sell the jeans and the dresses and the coats. I can't try them on. That's just never been my model, right? So I'm dependent on these amazing designers 
winners that they're going to make the best stuff. And they did make the best stuff in the past, but they never made ready-to-wear products. They only made custom products. So they would put the best thing and fit it on Naomi Campbell on a runway. She would walk down the runway. It would look great. But they never mass-produced it that the everyday person could walk into Macy's or Bloomingdale's and buy it. And I also then hired a bunch of other designers to help support them. And what I realized was I was throwing money at a situation and I wasn't rolling up my sleeves and walking into the office and doing all the things and the fundamentals that got me here for what I did with FUBU. I wasn't asking the models how they felt, wasn't asking the end day user how they or why they bought the product or why they would not buy the product. I wasn't going to half of the shows and I realized at that time that I didn't activate the power broke. I thought money could buy me buy my success in there and it still needed to be managed like any of our businesses. Nobody's going to run your business like yourself. And that is one of the biggest mistakes that I've learned after $6 million. Mm. So, and then, and in that you really communicated to this concept of the power broke, um, you know, powerfully anecdotally. And, um, and, and the idea, what I'm getting from you is it's that, it's that hunger of the entrepreneur that you should never lose no matter how successful you are. Yeah, you should never lose sight of what you're doing no matter how successful you are. And you have to understand who's operating it and you have to look at the numbers. I most likely could have achieved that same loss. I could have failed fast with a million dollars if I had to. But I would have been in the system and I would have been looking at what's going on. But every time, you know, a salesperson or somebody else told me we need more of this, we need more of that, they figured an injection of capital was going to cure it all. And it wasn't because I wasn't looking at the numbers. So if I did a show at two fifty, two hundred fifty thousand dollars a runway show and the buyers only bought $20,000 worth of stuff, then maybe I should do a small show at $10,000 and see how much I sell there. Hmm. And then go back up to the 250 when I know that I'm selling a million dollars of stuff when I do a show for 250. But I wasn't looking. I thought bigger is better. Well, that's that's really really good advice. Now, um, a lot of the folks that are listening into today's podcast are small accounting firms, and some of those uh, firms operate out of their homes, their basements, just like when you launched your company. Um, I'd like to wrap up our conversation by saying, okay, if, if there's somebody listening to this podcast and they're running their accounting firm from a spare bedroom in their home or their basement, you know, what can they do? What advice do you have for them uh, to not only, you know, grow their businesses and develop their businesses, but to become indispensable to their clients? Yeah, I mean, that's a very good question. You know, a lot of times in relationships, we don't ask in any form of relationship, personal and business, uh, you know, we don't ask the other person, what exactly do they want? What are they looking for? Um, a lot of times we assume because of what we want in our lives that we know what they want in our, their lives. And of course, the general concept is well, I want to make more money. But no, sometimes somebody wants, you know, sometimes somebody wants to be able to buy more things or scale the business down or maybe have more personal time with their family. So how do we do this and that? So, you know, the accountants know the most personal things about a business owner, and they often don't ask, what are you trying to accomplish today? What is your end-of-the-day goal? What is your one-year, three-year, five-year goal? So, that is a lot of information that, that people really don't know about their clients. So, number one, ask that. Also, you know, 
why are why is somebody using you for accounting? Is it purely because you crank out good numbers, or can you give them some solid advice? And are you dependable? You know, I'll be very honest. My history with accountants, um, you know, I hired uh, several in my in my history, and the ones that have been career uh, people with me have been absolutely amazing. They are the ones that you know, when anything goes wrong, I have to go to them and I have to get their solid advice. But I don't know why. And earlier in the podcast, you said you're invited to the party. They never come for the for the strangest reason. It's been very hard to find um, very consistent accountants to employ, and I don't know. I don't really know why. So there is a great opportunity for accountants to stand out in the market because when you know that accountant is, um, you know, somebody who's consistent, somebody's always going to show up, somebody's always going to give you the answer. They're not going out of business. They're not jumping ship and moving. And when you find consistent accountants. They are probably the most valuable person in the business next to the president or CEO. And I think that there is a great opportunity for accountants to not only do that, but scale their business too. Because if you can find a great firm that is consistent, that is something that's almost invaluable in business. And I think those are a couple of things that they you know, need to understand when they're at home. Number one, what's in it for the business owner? What's their true goals? And number two, how can you be of more value and be consistent to not only be that accountant, but be that advisor in different structures they're setting up or different uh, strategies they want to add to their business going forward? You know, Damon, I'm so glad that you ended on that, that very high note with this conversation because that is the mandate that all of thought leadership and the AICPA itself is giving to the profession that we need to take on a stronger trust advisor role. And I'm currently in the process of uh, writing a book called The Back Office to the Boardroom, where I challenge accountants to do exactly what you just said, to, to um, be more direct, be more assertive in their relationships and assertive in their relationships in a healthy way, and coach businesses toward success. Not just to look back analytically at the numbers, but to look forward in a projective way and help steer the company. So for you to say that's what you need as a business owner um, is is a huge validator for the fact that we need to be doing that as accounting professionals. Well, great. And I, you know, so I'm glad that you're sharing that with them because at the end of the day, you know, when the things don't go as well as the you know business owner wants, they're going to blame the accountant anyway, right? So why don't you be part of the success? <laughs> we might as well be part of the answer. Well, Damon, it has been fantastic having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast and our conversation with Damon John. This podcast episode and our entire podcast series is brought to you with the generosity of our podcast partners, NeatSmartBizLoans.com and Entryless. Entryless automates the accounts payable process. It automates accounting process. It takes all of your vendor and supplier's bills, extracts information off of those bills, however you get them to Entryless. It could be an email, it could be a scan of a, of a document. However it gets there, They'll automate it, extract the information off of it, and place that bill into QuickBooks Online, Sage One, Zero, and a wide range of other general ledger solutions. In this world where we are commissioned to extreme levels of efficiency, in this world where we are re-engaging our clients as bookkeepers virtually from the productivity arm of our offices, 
Solutions like EntryList are an essential component of any technology stack. And for our podcast listening audience, they are offering 2,000 automated bills for free. You can learn more at woodard.com slash podcast. For more information about today's episode, to explore other episodes in the podcast series, to learn all about the special offers from our partners, to learn more about the Scaling New Heights Conference, visit woodard.com. That's W-O-O-D-A-R-D.com. As always, we encourage you to stay tuned, stay connected, never stop learning, and scale new heights.